Welcome to our weekend podcast. If you're a guest with us and you're listening in for the first time, I want to encourage you to check out our website where you can learn more about who we are as Onalaska Church of Christ. We're in week two of a message series called The Controversial Jesus. During this four-week series, we're focusing in on several passages of Scripture that all highlight something controversial that Jesus either said or did. Jesus said and did a lot of things that were considered controversial to the culture in his day, and they remain pretty controversial in our day-to-day. Here's a few that will help all of us get on the same page today. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. In the surrounding verses, Jesus is talking about the cost of following him. And while salvation is a free gift that we receive by God's grace through faith in Jesus, there is a cost that comes with following Jesus. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you're called to submit your whole life to him. I'd say that's pretty controversial. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In a culture that promotes and even celebrates the life that tries to obtain more and more, regardless of what it takes, regardless of who gets hurt along the way, Jesus takes our lives in a totally different direction. He tells his followers to die to selfish desires and to live generously. You know, it's impossible to live generously if all you're trying to do is get more and more for yourself. This is a controversial statement in a world that loves to worship money and things. Matthew chapter 18, verse 8 and 9. Jesus said, So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, I've personally never heard of a sane person living these verses out literally, and I think we could probably go back and forth on whether or not this is meant to be a literal statement or a figure of speech. Uh, Personally, I tend to lean towards this being a figure of speech. However, the main point remains the same regardless. You see, Jesus takes sin very seriously. And as Christians, we're called to take sin seriously as well. Again, this is a pretty controversial passage of Scripture, especially in a world today that doesn't like to use the word sin, doesn't like to label anything sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus said, But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And when someone hurts me, uh, my natural response is to want to hurt them back. It's to get revenge. But Jesus points us in a different direction. Followers of Jesus are called to love that difficult coworker and to pray for the people that seek to hurt us. In a society that encourages us to have the last word and to seek revenge, Jesus calls us to love our enemies and to pray for the people who seek to harm us. If this isn't a controversial statement, friends, I don't know what is. Well, today's passage is found in Matthew chapter 19, uh, verse 27, and goes all the way through uh, chapter 20, verse 16. These verses are part of a larger section of Scripture that include most of Matthew 19 and 20. 
In these two chapters, Jesus reminds us about the cost of what it truly means to follow him. We're also reminded that if we love the things of this world, we can't really love God in the way that we were created to. If we don't completely surrender our lives to his will, it's actually impossible to obey him faithfully. And if we seek to glorify ourselves or if we compare ourselves with other people, we can't glorify God in the way that only he deserves. When paraphrasing these two chapters, author Warren Wearsby wrote, We cannot acknowledge Jesus as our king unless we love him supremely, obey him unreservedly, and glorify him completely. But if we do these things, we will share in his life and joy and one day reign with him. Today's passage is all about the second thing that I mentioned. It's all about how we can obey God unreservedly by surrendering our whole life to his will. And how that leads to having the right kind of attitude as we serve. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Um, We're going to read today's passage in two sections, beginning with Matthew 19, verses 27 through 30. So Matthew 19, beginning in verse 27. Then Peter said to him, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Jesus replied, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So I've mentioned how today's passage is part of a greater section of Scripture. And if we're going to understand what's happening in these verses, um, we have to understand the context that surrounds them. Just before this passage that we just read, a wealthy young man had walked up to Jesus and asked him this question. What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, in response, Jesus told him to continue to keep God's commandments. And then he goes on to list six of them, all of which have to do with our horizontal relationships. That is, relationships with other people. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents, and love your neighbor as yourself. Again, all of these have to do with our horizontal relationships, relationships with other people. Well, the wealthy young man responded by saying, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? So having his undivided attention, Jesus highlighted the one thing that this man was missing. It's the most important relationship there is. Jesus said, go and sell all your possessions And give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can follow me. The wealthy young man, he he heard this, and he went away sad because he couldn't bring himself to do what Jesus was asking him to do. You see, in telling the wealthy young man to sell all of his possessions, Jesus was sharing an important truth. This man's horizontal relationships, his relationships with people, may or may not have been fine. We don't really know. But we know that his vertical relationship with God was not. 
You see, his wealth and possessions had become the God in his life. They were idols that he just wasn't willing to give up. He wasn't able to follow Jesus and to have eternal life because he loved his wealth more than he loved God. This leads us to the first part of today's passage. Um, Peter was quick to respond and to, and to point out the difference between the wealthy young man and the poor disciples. In response to what Jesus had told the wealthy young man, Peter made a bold statement and he asked a question. He said, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? This statement and question led to an answer from Jesus that extends all the way through Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. So while the wealthy young man asked Jesus about what he must do to have eternal life, Peter's question is not about salvation at all. Peter's question is about God's rewards that are for those who have, unlike the wealthy young man, given up everything to follow Jesus. Jesus' response in verses 28 and 29, I, I think it does three things. Number one, it gives the assurance that there will be rewards for Peter and the rest of the disciples, as well as everyone else who truly knows and follows Jesus. Two, it teaches us and gives us a kind of warning that God will not distribute these rewards in a way that we might expect. You see, God's standard for justice and for fairness is not always the same as our own. And we have to keep that in mind, especially as we read this passage and apply these truths to our lives. And three, Jesus' response highlights the importance of having the right kind of attitude when serving God. And that's the part of this response that I want to focus in on today primarily. Matthew 19 verse 30 says, But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So Peter's response and question to Jesus when he said, we've given up everything to follow you, what will we get? I think it provides a great teaching opportunity for Peter, the rest of the disciples, and for all of us today. You see, Peter's motive for serving God wasn't quite right at this point in time. He was more concerned about the rewards that he would receive than he was about the privilege of following and serving Jesus. Like Peter, I think it's easy for all of us to lose sight of the main things and to get distracted by the things that are simply out of our control. Well, in verse 30, Jesus says something that's extremely controversial and in doing so turns the world's values upside down. He says, but many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Friends, the society that, that we're a part of today has a really hard time with a statement like this. I mean, think about some of the most powerful and well-known people in the world today. Personally, I think about the CEO of Amazon, maybe the various NFL team owners, and certainly politicians, you know, love them or hate them. How many of these people got to where they are today by being humble and by serving those around them? I think it's safe to say not many at all. There's an important lesson that Jesus is teaching in this passage about how Christians are called to serve. Really, it's about the motive, the heart behind our service. And to help the disciples better understand this important lesson, Jesus decided to teach through a parable. Now, I've preached through several of Jesus' parables in the past. I think a simple reminder today, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. 
Jesus often taught in parables to help his followers understand the important truths about the kingdom of God and about what it means to follow him. So let's read the parable that Jesus shared in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. This comes immediately after this conversation that he's having with Peter. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the market and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call all the workers in and to pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I want to pay this last worker the same as you. It isn't against the law for me to do what I want with my money. Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So like Peter's question, this parable has nothing to do with salvation. It's important that we understand that. I think some people read this passage and they think somehow that the daily wage or the denarius, that's what the daily wage or the pay would have been in Jesus's day, that the daily wage somehow represents salvation. But I would completely disagree with this. I think most importantly, because we don't work to earn salvation. Salvation is a gift that we receive solely by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And while Peter's question did have to do with the rewards that he and the rest of the disciples would get because of what they'd given up to follow Jesus, I don't believe this parable is primarily talking about rewards either. I believe that Jesus is addressing the motive behind Peter's question. Peter was more concerned about the reward than he was about the privilege of following and serving Jesus. This parable is emphasizing what it looks like to have the right kind of attitude when serving God. In the parable, there were two kinds of workers that the landowner hired. One, those who wanted a contract and had agreed to work for the normal day's wage. And two, those who had no contract at all. Instead, they just agreed to take whatever amount of money the landowner thought was fair. The first workers that the landowner hired, the ones who began at the beginning of the day, they insisted on having a contract. They wanted to know the exact amount of money that they'd be paid at the end of the day. The rest of the workers who were hired throughout the day, they took the landowner at his word and agreed to work for whatever amount he thought was fair. Now, this might explain why the landowner instructed his foreman 
to pay the workers, beginning with the last workers first. So the workers who were hired last were actually paid first. Now humor me for just a minute and put yourself in the shoes of the workers who were hired first, the ones who were hired for a contracted amount, yet were paid last. They expected to get the normal day's wage because that's what they agreed to, but imagine their surprise when they saw the workers who were hired last, each receiving the same amount and being paid first. The workers who were hired last, they only worked one hour that day. They were hired at 5 p.m. in the evening, and the workday ended at 6 p.m., but they were still paid an entire day's wage. In the first century, a full day's work was 12 hours. It was sun up to sun down, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So if the workers were being compensated fairly, at least by human standards, those who started at 6 a.m. and worked until 6 p.m. should have been paid 12 times more than those who worked for only an hour. But that's not what happened at all. You see, those who started working at 6 a.m., those who started at 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m., all received the exact same amount of pay. So put yourselves in the shoes of those who worked all day. How would this make you feel if you were one of the workers who was hired and worked 12 hours? You'd probably do what many of these workers did. You'd complain to your boss. You wouldn't be happy about this. Matthew 20, verse 11 and 12 says, when they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. So these people, they complained, they protested to the landowner. But I want you to recognize something. They didn't have a solid argument. Remember, they had a contract with the landowner. They'd agreed to work for the exact amount of money they ended up receiving. Now, if they would have simply trusted the, the goodness, the kindness, and the generosity of the landowner, they probably would have received more. But instead, they insisted on having a contract. So the lesson for Peter, the rest of the disciples, and for all of us today is simple. We shouldn't serve God because we want to receive an expected reward. And we shouldn't insist on knowing what we'll get. Instead, we should be reminded that like the landowner, but in a much greater way, God is good, kind, and generous. And he will always give us better than we deserve. That's what a perfect parent does. That's what our perfect heavenly father does. See, Peter was more concerned about the reward than he was about the privilege of following and serving Jesus. I believe that he eventually learned the lesson that Jesus was teaching the disciples that day. And it's a lesson that we need to pray about. It's a lesson that we need to learn how to apply to our own lives as we serve God with the various gifts that he's given us. It's a reminder for all of us to have the right kind of attitude when serving, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of trust, thankfulness, and faith that God's plan and his rewards are going to be for his glory and for our good. I think it's also a reminder to always give the credit or the glory to God for anything good that's accomplished through the work that's being done. You know, our pride And our need to be recognized often gets in the way of serving God effectively. Pride will kill the effectiveness of our ministry here faster than just about anything else. 
Well, Jesus ends his parable with some important words that take us all the way back to his conversation with Peter. These are words that are meant to help Peter, the rest of the disciples, and all of us to understand how Peter's question highlighted a wrong motive behind his service to God. Matthew 20, verse 16, Jesus said, So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. So friends, let's not get into the habit of measuring our worth or success by comparing it with the accomplishments and sacrifices of others. You know, Peter was comparing his accomplishments and his sacrifice to that of the wealthy young man. Instead, we should focus on serving God from the heart, serving God with the right motive and the right attitude. We, we serve God in response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You know, serving is a lot like giving. It's all about the heart. It's all about the attitude. It's all about the motive. And we serve a God who is perfectly good, perfectly kind, and perfectly generous. Let's remember this truth as we look for opportunities to serve. I want to end our time by reading two verses from the New Testament book of Colossians. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Colossians three twenty three and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Friends, let's remember today who it is that we're serving. Let's remember why we serve. And let's serve with all of our heart. Let's serve with the right motive.